the Empire podcast this week, we have new and selected interviews with Noah Bambach, director of the Merowith Stories Brackets New and Selected, plus Rebecca Ferguson from The X Factor comes in to talk about her new... I didn't know no, she was... In, no, no. Oh, the other one? The other one. From Mission Impossible. Yeah. Plus, Rebecca Ferguson from Mission Impossible hey. pops in to talk about her new movie, The Snowman. All that and more on the movie podcast that is quite frankly annoying because my favourite high street Asian food place is no longer doing their chilli chicken udon noodles. And I'm furious. I don't know. What's the world coming to? It's to madness, if you ask me. It's to madness. It's, it's mad. It's, it's you mad. Are you done with that are it's, you done yes. are, uh, oh that's good are you done that's very good are you done that's very very good um, anyway uh, hello pod I'm Chris Hewitt welcome to the Empire Podcast uh, this week I'm joined by one colleague <laughs> of such lethal cunning uh, and it's all a little bit slapdash around here which is why the intro was completely ad-libbed and a bit shambolic and uh, John Nugent the quiet poddle is with me hello, hello. how hello. are you yes I'm here good 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 I'm glad because a few words here <laughs> If you weren't here, oh my God. It's just a lonely man shouting into the void. <laughs> it's pretty much not that far off what it is every week anyway. Um, but yeah, if you weren't here, this would be uh, an interesting podcast. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Why are, why, why are we, what's it just us? Well, I don't know. Where I is guess, everyone? Well, Phil isn't at Empire anymore. Who? So I, I, some guy used to come in and clean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just wipe the desk down every night yeah Phil, Phil's left Phil's gone uh, Nick's busy because uh, we, we do have a magazine to get out we mm. do have a day job uh, Nick's busy Where's James Helen? is busy doing cool things Helen's in Belgrade right okay that's all I know I, I know why she's in Belgrade I can't say what she's doing in case it's top secret but it's, you know it's, uh, it's a cool safe visit that she's doing Terry is on a train I think to Scotland I'm not entirely sure why. Okay. Um, but it's cool. You know, it's fine. It's, it's all fine. Good. Who else? Who else do we have in the podcast on a regular basis who's not around? Uh, no, you're here. Johnny is in the office. He's busy. Dan Jolin, who's been uh, filling in for Phil, isn't here either. Right, that's it. Roll call's done. And uh, you and I are the only ones who answered the, the call. We're the only ones who aren't important enough to spend an hour yeah. chatting about films. That's pretty much it, really. That's it. So should we chat about films? Let's chat about films. Should we do it? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. All right. Okay, so it's just you and I. Um, and so this question came through this week from Carl from Wolves. I thought this would be a great question for the group if we had, say, three or four people in here. <laughs> this would be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and the question is, with Friday being Friday the 13th, oh Christ, it is, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, tomorrow, today, today, when the podcast is out, is Friday the 13th. Uh, just wondering in which order you would rank all the Friday the 13th films. And that's from Carl from Wolves via Twitter. That is our question. And I thought this would be a good one for the team to discuss. You know, I know not everyone is like massively into, into their horror films at Empire, but uh, and John, this this franchise has kind of passed you by, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it has a little bit. I've seen I've seen the first one. Uh, I've seen a couple of the other ones. I think I saw Jason Takes Manhattan when I was a teenager. Um, but I have not seen all of them. Uh, is it? Have you seen all of them? Yes. You've seen all of the Friday the 13th? I've seen all the Friday the How many are we talking now? This is like 12 Okay, well, well, you're talking, there, there are 10 official Friday the 13th movies. Then there is Freddy vs. Jason, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, it's kind of spin-off 
thing. And then there's the Friday the 13th remake, which came out a few years ago and is pretty terrible. And mm-hmm. they've been still trying to be the remake Friday the 13th for a while. Um, and, you know, it, it's a compelling-ish story. It's, you know, pretty straight-up slasher stuff in, in some cases. The first movie is very influential. Um, I really have a soft spot for these movies. They, they, they provided a great foundation for me when I was growing up watching them when I shouldn't have been watching them. Um, and they're, they're completely and utterly schlocky and some of them are absolutely terrible. Most of them are terrible. But uh, there, there are noteworthy um, instances in the, in the franchise. Which uh, so one is, would you say is the best then? Best overall? one for me is Friday the 13th Part 4. Okay. The final chapter. Mm-hmm. I shit you not. That's what it's called. I know. The- uh, it was then followed by six more films. <laughs> <laughs> and, I like uh, that um, Saw has fallen into that trap as well. Saw did the final chapter, yeah, and now we're seeing Jigsaw. So you know, yes. there, uh, there'll be another ten films out of that franchise yeah. as well. Resident Evil uh, just did that as well. Yeah, but that does seem to be the final chapter, at least for the time being, or at yeah. least with uh, Mila Jovovich. Um, so I would say Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the final chapter, is notable for a number of reasons. Uh, one, the makeup effects by Tom Savini, and he is one of the absolute masters of practical horror uh, makeup. He is brilliant, uh, and he came on and he really stepped up the the, the series gory game. Uh, two, a young Corey Feldman is in it as mm. a character called Tommy, uh, who for a while became the hero of the series, and that was kind of interesting as well because the the Friday the Thirteenth movies don't re- don't really have a hero that runs all the way through them. They have a bad guy who runs all the way through, uh, Jason Voorhees. Now, of course, he doesn't appear in the first movie. Well, he's not the principal bad guy in the first movie. That's his mum, uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Uh, but he becomes obviously one of the great horror icons, massive, unkillable zombie type guy walking around with an ho- ice hockey mask, which he gets in part three, and then uh, and a machete as well. And he goes around and he and the, the whole idea with Jason is that he's unkillable. Um, so Tommy comes into it in part four. Uh, who else is in four? Uh, Crispin Glover is in mm. four. He gets killed in an interesting way. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, I also have a soft spot for Friday the 13th part six, Jason lives. Uh, Jason wasn't really in part five. Uh, it was someone pretending to be Jason. But he came back properly as a maggoty zombie, unkillable zombie in, in Jason lives uh, in part six. And that's a, that's a lot of fun. And that has um, Tom Matthews playing Tommy uh, Jarvis in that one as well. That's the last time we see Tommy, I think. Uh, I like the uh, penultimate one. Uh, Jason goes to hell the final Friday. Uh, which has a bounty hunter trying to take down uh, Jason as well. That's that's got a, a nice sense of of its ridiculousness, um, and I like kind of the the two old school ones. I really really like. I mean, the the original is fine. It's okay. It's one of those horror movies that just now seems horribly dated, and just seems a little bit schlocky, uh, and was all about the kills. And of course, has a young Kevin Bacon being impaled, uh, and. You know, it's fine, but I, I quite like Friday the 13th Part 2, which is the first time we really see Jason. It's one of the first horror films I remember that, that has that um, storytelling technique where, whereby a survivor from the first film, and by the way, I'm spoiling the series here completely, uh, a survivor from the first film gets bumped off in the first few minutes of the second film. Mm. And you're going, what? What, what was the point of the last film? <laughs> in that case. Uh, and that's been done in so many movies since. Um, I won't spoil them for you either. Uh, but Friday the 13th uh, Part 2 is quite fun. 3 is 3D1. That's okay. Uh, the ones that are terrible, 5, 7, 8, which is Jason Takes Manhattan. Hmm. Awful. Although yeah. it does have a sequence where Jason punches a man's head clean off his shoulders. <laughs> 
Am I selling this franchise to you, John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I am. Yeah. And then the last one, I think, is the nadir of the franchise, which is Jason X, uh, in which he goes to space and was given four stars in this magazine by the great Timothy Newman. And as a, as a result, and this is... I th- I, did I work for Empire then? I must have done. Uh, I took a whole bunch of friends to see it in London. Yeah, I must have done, because it was in London, uh, on my birthday, going, guys, this will be great. Kim gave it four stars, <laughs> and it was absolutely atrocious on a on a almost irredeemable level. Um, but Kim and I are fine now. We're 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 all good, you know. <laughs> okay. I want to want to pick him up and shake him for the money. That you know, go on, go on, Kim. I know you got it. I know you're good for it, Newman. Come on. But yeah, I think uh, any franchise that goes to space. Uh, Usually doesn't end well. I mean, unless you start there, like Star Wars. You, yeah, Star if, you, Trek. if you start in space, fine. If you're a ground-based franchise, <laughs> like James Bond went space and it didn't go well. Moonraker. That's harsh on Moonraker. I think that's fair on Moonraker. I think I'm being kind to it, frankly. Uh, it, don't forget, it only goes Moonraker. You only, only lived to space for the last twenty minutes. Or so. Yeah, yeah, but the the space laser battle is just. I pew, shudder. Pew, pew, I shudder. Pew. Yeah, it's not good. So um, what have you seen? What have you seen in Friday the 13th? I've seen, I've seen the original, uh, and I've seen, this was a very long time ago, I saw half of Jason Takes Man- Manhattan. And I've seen, I started watching um, uh, Freddy vs. Jason, and mm-hmm. I gave up on it fairly quickly. That's, that's quite fun when I like that one. Why'd you give up on it? Uh, I don't know. I just, it just wasn't... I, I can't remember, to be honest. It was too too long ago. I enjoyed the tagline um, on some of the posters for Freddy vs. Jason was, Winner Kills All. I thought that was quite good. Uh, <laughs> I, I seem to remember, although I might be misremembering this, there was another one that said, Whoever wins, we lose. Uh, but that is that... Is, am I thinking that's Alien vs. Predator. That's Alien vs. Predator. That's the other franchise mashup. Yeah, that's a truly dreadful that is That is... Absolutely abominable yeah, by right. every standard. And the sequel is actually even worse. The sequel makes you nostalgic for Alien vs. <laughs> Predator. You go, okay, this is, you know, because at least mm. that has a director in, in uh, Paul W.S. Anderson who knows how to position a camera. But yeah. He knows how to turn it on. At he the knows right how time. to turn it on and take the lens cap off. <laughs> um, yeah. It's kind of weird because Freddy vs. Jason kind of killed that franchise. There was, mm. whole, there was a whole idea, and at one point there was a t- there was conversations that Ash from Evil Dead was going to turn up and, and best them both at the end because obviously he is the greatest horror movie character of all time. Uh, yeah, but it didn't happen, um, and it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a strange one. It's quite fun. It's got um, it's got someone from Destiny's Child in it. Kelly Rowland. Kelly Rowland's in it. That's right. Wow. Kelly Rowland is in, it. and she's really good in it. Uh, as far as you know. Horror movie goes. She's she's okay. fun and likable, uh, but yeah, they're they're short. They're ninety minutes long. Mm-hmm. So watch them all this weekend. <laughs> they're ninety minutes long. That's your <laughs> that's your recommendation. They are feature length. They've got some good kills in them. If that's your thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, good gore. Got good music. Cha 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 Yeah. Not selling it? Okay, all right. Uh, Anyway, thanks to Carl from Wolves for that question. Um, And if you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. You can tweet us, like Carl did, presumably, from Wolves. Uh, So we're at Empire Magazine on Twitter, and you can use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, You can Facebook us, where we're Empire Magazine, and you can email us as well, where we're podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for our first guest this week. Uh, Making uh, another appearance in the podcast... Rebecca Ferguson was on the podcast recently for Despite the Falling Snow, but mm. when we 
heard there was a chance to get her back in again, we jumped at it because she's fantastic. She is, of course, a Swedish actress who could be seen in Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation and Life and movies like that. Uh, and not the uh, Liverpudlian singer from The X Factor, who's equally good. And I keep saying it every time she comes up in this, but she should sing the Bond theme. God damn it. Sure. Amazing voice. Amazing Good voice. Good shout. Uh, so, yes, John went along to speak to Rebecca Ferguson this week because she has another movie out and it's called The Snowman based on the best-selling books by Yo Nesbo. It's starring Michael Fassbender as the Norwegian detective Harry Hole. Or is it just Hole in the movie? In the movie, it's just Hole, but, but I yeah, think the in, correct in Norwegian is it's Hole. Yeah, like John Arnoriza. Mm-hmm. Hole. Okay, brilliant. So, uh, here she is, Rebecca Ferguson, talking to John Nugent. Enjoy. We are delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Rebecca Ferguson. How are you doing? I am well. I'm excited. Um, so we are talking about the snowman. Yes. Um, and you play Katrine Bratt. Yes, Katrine Bratt. Um, so she's a colleague of Harry Hole, mm-hmm. played by Michael Fassbender, a fellow detective. But she's quite a sort of complex character, I yeah. suppose you could say. She is. I think and there's also one of the reasons why I loved playing her. And I sat down with Thomas when we started discussing this film because the book version is one and we're doing something quite different with Mm. the film Mm. um, under guidance of Joe Nesbo himself. Um, And it's about sort of the subtle changes in Katrine where where she transfers from Bergen to Oslo and she ends up in this small team with Harry Hole as a leading detective. This guy who who she studies his case at at school and he turns out to just be quite miserable battling his demons and alcoholism. Um, And it's a very hard meeting for her um, and sort of her illusions are kind of just raised mm. um, but we see this struggling kind of young girl and she's quite fierce and she's she's determined to prove herself and then gradually as the story develops we realise that her reasons are quite sinister and rooted in something else mm. but it, 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 yeah it's just not giving away too much there was interesting shifts in her yeah it's, it's directed by um Thomas Alfredson, uh, who did uh, Let the Right One In and Tinker, Tinker Taylor. Tinker Taylor, yeah. He's such a cult figure yeah. for, for film in Sweden and his family and his father, who sadly enough passed away recently. But, yeah. I mean, for me, it's like saying, do you want to work with Hitchcock? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And people sometimes ask, they ask me about being starstruck. And I have to say, meeting Thomas was kind of a moment like that for really? me. Um, yes, I, I, I kind of wanted him to love me, <laughs> and then at the same time, just kind of be myself. It was it was an interesting meeting. Yeah, I mean, he is a fellow Swede. Did you ever like sort of talk in Swedish on set and yes, no one else? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it, it's quite rude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is quite rude, and then at the same time. It's, it becomes quite domestic and homey, right. knowing that I can just whip into Swedish and ask him something about my character. Mm. And obviously not, we're grown-ups. I wouldn't be criticising someone behind their backs in Swedish to Thomas. Um, <laughs> you I'm didn't quite, have any like sneaky conversations no, about Michael? No, I'd go, Michael. what the fuck is Michael doing? <laughs> but in Swedish, I found your Michael. Um, no, none of that. No, no. I read somewhere that, uh, I mean, obviously, you, you're as a Scandinavian, you're quite used to the cold, but... Um, uh, I think Thomas Alfredson said that 95% of the, the snow in this film is real. How, what, did that present any challenges at all? Like- 
not challenges. It it becomes much more interesting to shoot in the environment that is real. Mm. Um, and when you're walking, you're actually knee deep in snow, and it's hard, and it's cold, and right. and I think it's sometimes quite hard. I remember in life we had to do a scene where, with Jake Gyllenhaal and myself, we were on board the spacecraft and everything's just defaulted and it's freezing mm. cold mm. but it actually wasn't it was quite warm so you have to start creating the shake inside and it's it's a very hard acting moment and you right. get quite stiff um, but here it was so natural it's all real <laughs> you're actually all real it, yeah. it doesn't kind of yeah um, and then also what's lovely is it brings the team kind of close together because when it's so cold, it doesn't matter who you are. There's no hierarchy on set. Yeah. Everyone gathers in the little hut. Yeah. There's hot chocolate. There is a big fire. Yeah. Uh, someone snuggling up with a book in a corner. Nice. Yeah, it's, it keeps everything quite small. Yeah, I noticed because it is very sort of bleak, it's Scandi noir, but it also made me kind of want to go to Norway in a strange way. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's some very beautiful locations. It's exquisite. Yeah. And I'm so happy because I have always wanted to go to Norway and I've wanted right, right. to go into the fjords and the priest chair. I don't know yeah. if you've seen images of it. People yeah, base yeah. jump from it. Yeah. Um, but it, what's fun, I think, here, what Thomas and Dion Bibi, the photographer, does brilliantly, is you have these incredible landscapes that look like Harry Potter world. I mean, you just it's mm. magic. Mm. And there's an air of, of serenity and just calm, but flip it around, make it cold and brutal and throw in, you know, a serial killer who likes <laughs> chopping people sure. up. Um, it just becomes utterly terrifying and lonely and scary. Yeah. The same milieu can just flip. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Mm. Um, and obviously this being Scandinois, you get to wear some fantastic knitwear oh, as well. God, how great <laughs> are they? The big socks and the yeah, woolly yeah. jumpers and the hats and... Yeah. Yeah, it's my style. Pretty comfortable. Did you have a favourite cardigan or jumper? I think I have a blue jumper okay. outside of a shirt. I always have these sort of stripy shirts, the, the flannel shirts. Okay, yes, yeah. <laughs> Which are so good. Yeah. Um, I had also reindeer shoes, but I think they're fake. Okay. Um, but reindeer shoes that were green. Wow, okay. Which are just so warm and, and, and beautiful. I think I got one of the knitted jumpers at home, actually. A given, not stolen. Sure, sure, sure. We should probably talk about Mission Impossible, if that's okay, if, 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 we, yes, if you do. don't mind. Um, you because my mint tea whilst you do Please. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise obviously famously injured himself on the set of Mission Impossible famously 6. Injured. Famous. I love it. Anyone can fall on the street, but yeah. Tom Cruise famously injured himself. It's the most himself. famous injury of the year, <laughs> if not all time. Um, well, funnily enough, he, he's one of those men, he just, he'll just recover like no yes. one else. Yeah. Um, it probably was blown up out of proportion maybe but but um uh, i mean filming did have to stop a little bit did you get a bit of uh, a holiday did you just a sudden like i did off? yeah i did um, how was that what did you get up to you just well i i i might have gone somewhere and and explored okay and no i just decided to have we had a 10-week hiatus okay which for on my side of it becomes vacation because nice. my idea was to go on a vacation after the film wraps. So you just have okay. to change it around a bit. Okay, nice. And I can imagine for Tom, it means recover whilst producing yes. and writing and working. <laughs> so everyone else sort of goes on holiday. Right. Except him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I look forward to going into it again. Yeah. Um, I, miss, I miss the team and I miss... I miss the training and yeah. So there's still there's still a little bit more shooting oh, yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Um, and uh, what, what? I mean, you're probably sworn to secrecy, but what can you tell us about Ilsa Faust in this film? Because obviously last we saw her, she was sort of driving off into the distance. Yes, she was. She was driving away and she said, you know how to find me. Yeah. And they know how to find her, apparently. Uh, presumably so, yeah. <laughs> or maybe she knows how to find them. Okay, interesting. I mean, that is the best thing about Ilsa, isn't it? She kind of just comes and she goes and she right. does her own thing, right. which we're trying to maintain in this film as well. Okay. Um, the elusiveness of her. Yeah. Like, you never really know where you have her. Yeah. With some great action sequences. and But I mean, Tom is in a helicopter in New Zealand doing incredible stunts. Yeah. We were in Paris where we had motorbike chases. And yeah. um, I never really know the arc of the story until I see it. Okay. So we kind of shoot um, episodical bits. Right. Okay. You're only given like snippets fragments of, of it. And you, okay. Yeah. And then you kind of put it together later yeah. on, which is an interesting way of, of filming. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, obviously in the last film we saw you rappel off a, an opera house. Yes. Uh, despite your fear of heights, do I you know. have any, any, you know, phobia crushing stunts this time? No, not this time around, which is quite lovely. Um, <laughs> my feet are firmly on the ground. Okay, okay. Um, but there are always sort of the momentums of the fighting sequences that are really hard and tough. Yeah. And I do want to do all of those moves myself. So I, I train and I train and I train. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm not repelling off anything yet. Good. Who knows? You know what? They'll probably hear this and go, ha ha. <laughs> a good idea. You know what, honey? You are going to repel off double the height. Yes. Well, we know Tom Cruise always listens to the Empire Podcast. <laughs> He's a big fan. You no, know, he so. probably does. Maybe. Maybe. You don't know. You are. With, with Hugh Jackman. Yep. Um, and you play Jenny Lind. Is that yes, right? The, the Swedish Nightingale. opera singer. Mm. Um, what can you tell us about that? Do you actually, are you singing in, in this Well, one? we'll see what they use. Basically, I am playing one of the world's best singers. What they need right. is one of the world's best singers to, to, to um, portray this character. Right. But what I did for myself is they have this incredible girl singing, uh, Lauren, who I just, I hope they take her voice. Right. Because she just needs to sing for me. But I trained with Anna Kiersa, who is one of, I mean, the South Pole of Sweden's best teachers. And I called and I said, I, when I stand on that stage in front of those 600 extras, I want to sing this song and I want to do it. And then if they want to cut it out and they want to use her voice or intercut and they could mix her voices together, that's fine. Right. But for myself, I want to come home and feel like I've done it. Yeah. And I did it. Yeah. Over and over and over and over until the audience was so bored. No. <laughs> um, and that was an achievement. And if they use my voice, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, they should use hers. But, uh, <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It's just for me knowing that I did it. Yeah. It's enough. You have, a, you have a background in dancing. Did you, I mean, this is a big, you know, old school Hollywood musical. Did you get to... I don't. I'm still... You're still my the entire time. My character stands still. I tried to get a little bit of hip action in, yeah. <laughs> and Michael and Hugh just went, yeah, and, and still, just stand yeah. still. Um, you weren't tempted to just sort of... Just break out in a pad of beret yeah. and a big twirl. <laughs> yes, all the time. Yeah. No, but she's very still. She okay. She's not a part of the circus. Right. Um, so we have P.T. Barnum, who is um, the creator of this very ver variety theatre with yeah. the oddballs, the tattered woman, the bearded woman. Right. Um, but he hasn't really gained the respect from the high society. Uh, people just kind of laugh at him. It's, nothing is really real with what he does. Yeah. And he realised that the only way for him actually to gain respect from the people with money is to travel with Jenny Lind, who is high of utmost um, quality 
and right. and best she's best friends with the Queen of England basically. Okay. So if he presents her and her opera and the way she sings, people will see him in another light. So you're bringing a bit of class to proceedings. So I bring a little bit of class okay. and sophistication. So yeah. no pas de berets. No pas de berets. No. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Which is fun. And then now I'm actually, uh, whilst shooting Mission, I'm doing uh, The Kid Who Would Be King. Right. With Joe Cornish. Yes. Yes. Do you know Joe? Yeah. Well, not personally. He's but I'm going a big to be fan. listening to this. I hope so. Yes. I do hope so. I mean, um, I'd see him and Simon because they're pretty good yeah, friends. Yeah. They'd be listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and ridiculously excited. I mean, I can't tell you I'm going to be a wizard dragon by weekend and a spy for mission during weekdays wow that's quite a job isn't it let's not mix them up uh, yeah. <laughs> so what is a wizard a wizard dragon well Morgana basically right, so she okay. is the uh, well, sister stepsister to King Arthur okay and she believes she has the utmost um, um, regal rights to the sword Excalibur right um Mm. And it's like a, is it like a sort of family comedy? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. It's, no. it's actually quite intense. Okay. It's, it's a young adventure film with, right. with, you know, I would say goblins and, and sorcery and darkness and magic. And, and uh, it's going to be incredibly intense. Wow. And Patrick Stewart plays Merlin. Right. Uh, okay. Well, we really look forward to that. I very quickly wanted to ask about um, The Lady and the Panda. Yes. Um, because there were reports that you'd signed up to that. I, I just wanted to know what the status of that what was. Happened? Yeah. Uh, it was one of those situations where things worked very well up until the moment when it didn't really work out for right. the production or for me and time-wise. Okay. And I think there was issues with transport into the country and then all of a sudden things shifted and we needed to make a quick decision yeah. on how to proceed. And I had to sadly enough throw myself into something else. Right. And they had to move forward. Okay. So sadly, we kind of had to part. And I, I don't know if they're filming right now. Right. Um, I'm trying to not think about the idea that I'm not running in the beautiful mountains with pandas. In the Himalayas, yeah. You know what? I'm a dragon. You're a dragon. I'm a spy. I'm doing other things. You're doing okay. I'm happy. You're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson, thank you very much for thank your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Rebecca Ferguson. And now this is the news section of the podcast. However, this is being recorded on Friday the 13th of November, the day after the rest of the regular podcast that you're listening to, because uh, we have convened a special news meeting here in the studio. Uh, I'm joined not by John Nugent, but by James Dyer. And I don't know if you can hear that, but uh, Helen O'Hara is currently in a train station in Acton. Hello, Helen. Hello. <laughs> okay, how are you? I'm good. Good, good, good. I'm on my way back from exciting places. Indeed. And then we have Terry White, our editor-in-chief who is in Scotland. Hello, Terry. Hello, Chris. Wow, you sound loud and clear. I didn't think they had reception like that in Scotland. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yes, I speak to you direct from Scotland. <laughs> How are they up there? Are they okay? It's uh, very wet, very rainy and very Scottish, just as I expected. <laughs> All right, great. Um, and the reason uh, that we've convened this special news meeting and the reason that uh, Terry and Helen have dialed in uh, it's because we want to we want to address this uh, the the news story that has blown up this week. I think it's probably the biggest news story that hit Hollywood, uh, certainly the biggest scandal that hit Hollywood in a long, long time. And this is the the allegations of sexual abuse and uh, a sexual assault levied at Harvey Weinstein. Uh, there has been a a snowball that started last week and has rolled and rolled and rolled. And it seems like this thing could blow up. This could be a seismic event. For Hollywood, um, number of people, 
are coming forward every day with new allegations against Harvey Weinstein. Other people are now being brought in, uh, in into this as well. Uh, this feels to me like this could be a bit of a watershed moment for Hollywood. Um, Terry or Helen, whoever wants to talk on that one first. I mean, I, th- I think it could be. Uh, I think that uh, what we're seeing is a lot of people who are fed up with the way that things are and the way that things have been historically. And what's been really striking over the last uh, the week, week or so is, first of all, how many women saw it as the cost of being business, uh, just the cost of doing business until the first few allegations came forward. And, and who have now come to see that, hang on, this isn't really okay. This isn't really just background sexism. This is, you know, this is a, a, a huge problem and it is right that we should stand up and speak about it. So I think, I think what we're seeing here really with the Weinstein situation, I mean, it's a systemic issue and it's clearly something that has been going on for many, 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 many decades. And, and as Helen said, I think it's extraordinary that we are talking about... Um, women who used to be actors who still are actors we've got women who are you know the biggest a-list actors in the world and with incredible profiles who are very outspoken on on tons and tons and tons of things who have felt unable to speak until now and i think that um the response from pretty much the majority of Hollywood has been entirely appropriate. I think the way people have come together to kind of really say that this is completely unacceptable. I think there's been probably a little bit of um, minimising over the years, you know, things like the terms casting couch, which I hate because mm-hmm. that really minimises and normalises what we're talking about. And what we're talking about is everything from harassment to coercion to abuse and to rape and assault um, and it covers all people use it to cover all of those things in terms of how the um, studio system works um, but actually you know th- that term is incredibly outdated and and it, to me there's no relation to what we're talking about here with Feinstein um, and I think it is a huge watershed moment I think the industry will never be the same again after this and nor should it be um, and I just hope that the women who have spoken out and are finding, I think, solidarity in each other and with each other in terms of finally being able to openly um, discuss this and what they've been through. And I think that in and of itself means that silence being broken means this kind of systemic nature and of this abuse can can no longer continue in the way that it seems to have been doing for decades. Mm. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. And I think there's been this, there's been a, a prevalent attitude. And I don't think it's just Hollywood. I think it's also the music industry, and I think it's also oh, yeah. the sports industry to another, to an extent as well. Over the years, that there's been an attitude that you can act with impunity, by and large, as long as you deliver the goods, whether that's artistically or from a sporting point of view. And I think that that attitude is abhorrent. And I think that hopefully, I think you begin to see. As far as I can tell, anyway, the music industry began to get us act together after, you know, certain allegations. Well, not certain, certain convictions of people over the last few years. Obviously, TV has had a historical problem as well, and I think that's putting this house in order. And I think Hollywood now needs to take a really, really long, hard look at itself and go: How much were we enabling behavior? How much were we turning a blind eye to behavior? And can we can we put our foot down in the future and say it doesn't matter how talented you are if you are acting illegally or immorally, then you cannot work in this town. The number of women who are actually um, assaulted at any point in their lifetime is, is is ridiculously high, and this isn't just a Hollywood problem. This is you know this is a bigger problem in our society, and women face threats 
at home they face threats at work they face threats in so many different situations and I think as you say when when it's something like this situation where there is a definite kind of power structure which enables this kind of thing to go on then until that starts to get dismantled and really looked at and taken apart um, then it's too easy for these things to happen and also then for there to be a silence about it and I also think the narrative being challenged in terms of you know why didn't women speak up and things like that I'm, I'm really encouraged to see people mm. turning around and actually saying hang on no the, the owner should be on the person who's committing the crime or not the victim that is not what the narrative should be actually it's been you know for people to be saying why are we asking women why they didn't speak up why are we asking other actors why they didn't speak up the onus is on the person who is committing the crime not to behave like that um and actually you know the, the fact that as more women have spoken, more women have felt able to, and also more men. We've seen men talking about their own kind of experiences mm. when it comes to this kind of situation. And the fact that they found comfort in solidarity and being able to share their stories and be open. Um, and that's why it's kind of been a bit of a watershed moment, I think, because actually just a number of people of a certain profile feeling confident enough to be able to speak out about it has encouraged other people to. And I think it's also clear that there is a part of male Hollywood that has, has endured some similar things as well. So I think yes. it's probably a, yeah. a, a bigger problem than anybody might have fully anticipated originally. Okay, James, what's your take on the whole, on the whole situation? No, I, I agree entirely. A lot of people have been, uh, I guess, fatigued by the fact that this is now been dominating social media for days in a row and I think weirdly long may it continue I think the benefit of U-Tree and all of that uh, and all of that unearthed it kind of it, it woke people up to the dangers of predatory behaviour and something that had been completely normalised uh, over time and I think this is something that's gone on for decades and it's not exclusive to Hollywood or, the, or entertainment as a whole this happens in every career in every country and I think the more you talk about it the more you expose the fact that this shouldn't be normalised and that this isn't acceptable behaviour. And, and weirdly, it is, you know, this, this is a male thing to talk about as well. Like, mm. you know, people are saying on Twitter, you know, for, for women, we think about this stuff, we talk about this stuff all the time. I think the problem is men don't think about this stuff and don't necessarily talk about this stuff, and that's something that needs to change as well. So, yes, I think hopefully this will see a sea change in the way this issue is dealt with in Hollywood, but hopefully it will spill over into the world as a whole. The last word from all three of you, very, very quickly. Where do we go from here? Where does Hollywood go from here? Uh, my feeling on this is we need to go somewhere and it's this that it feels that this has got a lot of exposure and people are paying attention to it and people are saying something must be done because so many people have come out of the woodwork but I think my concern with this is this isn't the first time this has happened this isn't the first time this has been reported and there are a number of filmmakers who've been accused of this sort of thing who continue to get work there are filmmakers who've been convicted of this kind of thing who continue to work and continue to output because they're seen as contributing artistically to Hollywood. And that is unacceptable. And people should not work with these men. Mm -hmm. They should refuse to be in their films. And that hasn't happened up until now. I'm hoping this will see a tipping point and maybe that will change and they will be held accountable for their actions, however historical. Indeed. Uh, Helen? I also think there's going to be uh, another wave of allegations after this against other people. Harvey Weinstein may be, as Emma Thompson put it, the sort of top of the ladder of abuse, but that's not to say she's the only one who's committed serious abuses. And I think that there are a lot of very worried men in Hollywood and elsewhere who uh, realise that they have a lot of stuff hiding in their closets that could well come out. Um, so I, I don't know that this is 
it, I, I don't think this is going to end with Weinstein, and I think how far yeah. it rolls will determine how much of a long-term effect it has. I agree, I agree. I think we'll be talking about this uh, on the podcast for a long time to come. And, uh, and Terry, a last word from you on this, this horrible situation. I mean, quite honestly, my, my thoughts at uh, this time are just with all the women who have come forward and all the women who maybe haven't come forward um, and anybody who's kind of um, experienced this or been a victim of this. And I hope that this actually begins a period of healing for them um, and enables them to start working through it um, because I think that ultimately... Um, Absolutely, and there we have to leave it. Uh, Terry, enjoy Scotland. Helen, enjoy the train station. Thank you so much for calling in. Cheers, bye. See you around. Bye. Bye. Okay, thanks once again to uh, James Dyer for this impromptu uh, news appearance. You are well. Uh, thanks to Terry and Helen for calling in. Helen wanted to be here, but the train's way, way later, uh, and Terry was very, very keen to be a part of it as well. Uh, so thank you to both of them for calling in. Uh, and now we're going to return you to yesterday's pod. It's me and John in the pod booth again. And hey, we're going to be talking about Star Wars, a much lighter and happier subject. Enjoy. Time now for this week's movie news, and uh, this week we saw a new Star Wars trailer uh, for the new Star Wars film, The Last Jedi, uh, and uh, everyone seems to be very, very excited, and I would say with good reason, wouldn't you, John? Yes, indeed. It's been six months since we last saw a trailer for... Six months? Yeah. Wow. That was the last. That was when we had the teaser. Um, so, obviously, the anticipation has been intense on the internet, I would say. Um, and I'd say it delivered. I, th- I think it's the perfect kind of trailer which gives you a real flavour and a taste of the sort of film we can expect without actually giving anything away. Um, I mean, we're two months away from release. I still don't really know what is going to happen in this film. I know that, that Ray will get some sort of Jedi training with Luke, um, but yeah. beyond that... Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't know the story, and I'm trying not. I'm not writing anything for this for the magazine, so I'm. Yeah. I'm actually able to divorce myself uh, in a in a nice way. And you know, my my relationship with Star Wars is really weird. I'm a Star Wars kid. I grew up Star Wars. I love Star Wars with every fiber of my being. But um, I, you know, while I appreciate the elements of the Force Awakens, it is a movie that diminishes for me with each viewing, and I. It, I feel it's a bit of a, a retread of A New Hope. And I liked Rogue One, but again, it's not a movie that I felt compelled to revisit. And I kind of wondered if I'd lost my Star Wars spark a little bit, whether it, it maybe just passed me was beginning to pass me by a little bit. I don't really feel the connection with these characters that I felt with Han and Luke and Leia and Chewie. Um, but this trailer is beginning to rekindle that spark. I think I, I've only seen it twice and I don't really want to see it again too many more times. And I'm really glad I don't know anything about the story. But what I got was a succession of lovely images and lovely mm. Star Wars uh, images that, that felt like Star Wars. And um, I'm just really excited to see what they do with this movie. Uh, I don't know how much of the trailer is going to be a bit of a, a red herring in that it seems to be leading you down the path that Luke is in some way going to try to stop the Jedi or stop the Jedi and the Sith from from propagating, I guess, and from, from rebuilding again. Mm. Um, and he might become some sort of weird insurgent of some, some kind. Um, 
I don't know if they're going to do that. There's hints that Ray might be conflicted in some way. Yeah, I think that's misdirection. I think yeah. there's a couple of uh, sequences in the trailer which suggest things that I think probably won't come to pass. So I don't think Ray is likely to turn to the dark side. I but it, that would be interesting. It would be a, a, a bit of a twist, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, the interesting thing for me is would Kylo Ren go the other way, given yeah. that he's coming from a much more, you would say, irredeemable place. That's right, and it's sort of hinted at in The Force Awakens, that sort of pull between good and bad. He's kind of... Uh, well, he's, yeah. He's, he's, it's, not, it's not subtly hinted at, is it's, it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he literally says it. He, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you if you watch closely and listen to the words that he says... Um, <laughs> you may find a subtle clue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it also hints in the trailer the, um, the potential uh, death of Leia, which, again, I feel... Uh, I really hope that that's a, a, a fake out because I, I feel a beloved char- character like that needs a more respectful way to go. I, yeah. Consider considering that that Carrie Fisher obviously passed away shortly I, after filming. I don't. Yeah, you're right. I think the trailer is set up to do that. I don't think they are going to do that. I don't. I, I at least I don't think they're going to do it the way it looks in the trailer. Mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Leia is given a a lovely send off I don't think it's going to be a Paul Walker situation where his character lives on in the Fast and Furious universe and is off raising kids with his his wife I I think that the ongoing nature of the story means that Leia's story will have to come to an end and it's it's terrible but I'm not sure that they're going to do it in the way that they're suggesting in the teaser I think you're right I think this is a really interesting teaser Um, Mm. there's lots of uh, ways this movie could go Um, and correct me if I'm wrong here John because I haven't done I usually do frame by frame breakdowns of trailers and I haven't done it with this one so I haven't like I say I've only seen it twice once on a phone once on an iPad as as intended by Ryan Johnson Uh, there's nobody else at the Toro is there in this trailer not that I could see no Laura Dern Uh, no no, we see her in the first trailer, I think, but not okay. in this one. That's interesting. That, you mm-hmm. know, especially Benicio del Toro. I was like, what is his character? Is he Benicio del Toro esque, or is he doing a mocap jobby like uh, Andy Circus? I think I think he's himself because mm. I think we have seen. <laughs> I hope a... he's himself. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's not played by another actor. I think no. I th- <laughs> I th- as I think he's appearing in live action because the Vanity Fair shoot. I think Annie Leibovitz right. shot him in okay. costume. He plays a character called DJ, if memory recalls. I hope so maybe yeah. he'll be, uh, you know, setting up some raves on Kante Bright. Um, All right, who's got a red lightsaber? Wave it in the air! Now here's Gavin with the weather. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what DJs do. They, they drop fat beats, and then they go to Gavin with the weather. He's in the whirly bird high above Worcester. We also saw Porgs in the trailer, which the internet is going nuts for. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. Yeah. It's basically just sort of like tiny chickens <laughs> crossed with like puffins right. crossed with. Have 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 the Porgs escaped a Charger esque backlash? What? Because they seem to me like you know, or Ewok esque backlash. It seems to me that people love Porgs, but. Those same people, if an Ewok appeared, they'd be going, oh, kill them all. Yeah, it's funny that. It's mm. it, it's funny, I actually spoke to uh, Neil Scanlon today, who is the, the head of the Creature Workshop for, for Star Wars. Wow. And he told me that when they were designing uh, the Porgs, they very much had the Ewoks in mind because they they exist on this very fine line of you either love them or you hate them. Yes. Uh, and I think, I don't know, they've obviously, they've done something right, basically, because... 
pretty much everyone I've seen on Twitter has gone utterly fucking nuts <laughs> for them. Um, but we're very, very excited about this. I think Ryan Johnson's a fantastic uh, writer and director. And um, I'm very excited about it. And um, I'm going to try and keep Radio Silent now in Star Wars until it comes out. Mm-hmm. And we shall see what we can see. Um, right, we don't have a lot of time. So I'm going to... Uh, quick fire. Quick fire, really, really quickly. So what do you think about this Rock and Tyrese feud that is going on right now? Oh, so man, just to, yeah. to fill people in on this. Um, so it's been announced recently. It's been rumored for a while, but it's been announced that the uh, Hobbs and um, Shaw spinoff will actually happen. That And it's going to happen before Fast and Furious 9. So the Rock... Uh, Dwayne Johnson and uh, Jason Stath- the Stath- Jason Statham are going to come together to uh, play Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw. <laughs> Deckard Shaw, who was Ian Shaw when he first appeared in, in Fast and Furious 6, let's not forget. Um, and it's going to be a spin-off. And this has really pissed off Tyrese Gibson, <laughs> who took to Instagram uh, earlier on, uh, it was either earlier on this week or last week, and was just not happy about it. He was not happy about it. And he was he was saying all sorts of so just annoyed things about the rock. Sure, just, just, just stop it! Dude, how dare you? Well, you you want spin-offs? Well, I was offered a Roman and Ted spin-off, and I said no. Said Tyrese Gibson. Um, definitely really? telling the truth there. Really? Yeah. Roman and Ted spin-off, eh? Okay. Um, so so that's happened. And then The Rock last night uh, posted a video where he was uh, critis- criticising, shall we say, critiquing mm-hmm. Tyrese's new album. And he called it, and I quote, dog shit. <laughs> so it seems to me <laughs> that there's a little bit of a feud going down. God, God, I mean, guys, they they just need to like, they need to have a barbecue like (laughs) as soon as possible. They need to get some Coronas out. They need to find a rooftop. John, you know the Rock. I know the Rock. Yeah, I need to. Good friends. We need to speak. We need to catch up. I I worry about these guys. It's gonna. It's not gonna end well. When you when you got a candy ass on your on your tail. I'm intrigued. I really am. I'm. I'm just. I'm fascinated to see how this thing turns out. But uh, you know, we we know we we know already that The Rock and Vin Diesel did not get on on the set of Fast mm. Eight. So to the the extent where they're basically not in the movie together. Yeah. And so now I wonder if Fast Nine and Fast Ten, if gradually the the original cast members of the franchise, you know, from, from movies one to four, are going to get so annoyed with The Rock that gradually he's just going to be filming the movie on his own. Yeah. The Rock's <laughs> going to film his all his scenes on green screen, and they'll just. <laughs> I'll just stitch him in. Uh, I saw. I saw on his the, the Rock sort of vaguely addressed this feud on on Instagram. Uh, he quoted his his character Hobbs, and he says, he said, "Let's have some fun." And to quote Hobbs, the boss, if you don't like it, we're happy to beat that ass like a Cherokee drum. Are you sure that was Hobbs? Are you sure that wasn't Shakespeare? <laughs> uh, all right, okay. So then very, very quickly, there's some other stuff mm. going down as well this week. Um, Sylvester Stallone has been confirmed as the director of Creed 2 mm-hmm. or Rocky 8, whatever way you want to look at it, but it will be officially Creed 2, uh, which we think will pit Creed, um, Adonis Creed, against the son of Dolph Lundgren's um, Avan Drago, which is all very, very exciting indeed. Um uh, yeah, I, I I'd love Ryan Coogler to come back and direct that, but um, but uh, he is not available, and I guess nobody knows that franchise better than Sylvester Stallone. Although yeah. one of the things I loved about Creed was how Coogler's worldview 
you know, the original Rocky is very much told from the viewpoint. It was written by Stallone, who was very much a young Italian-American man growing up in a, in a major city. And, uh, and Creed was very much about a young African-American man in Philadelphia. And he had all of Kugler's uh, point of view and all his worldview crammed into that film. And going from that to Stallone is going to be an interesting switch. But uh, listen, the man directed Rocky IV and could do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. That's right. Hearts indeed on fire. I want a robot in this one. <laughs> Maybe they should go to space. They should go to space. That's, that's what this franchise needs. I will break you in space. <laughs> the space race. Uh, we should quickly talk maybe about the Settlers Catan game, uh, which we? is being made into a film. Yeah, I think we should. Okay. Well, let's just mention it. It's being made into a film. It's really exciting. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the board game. Uh, I regularly build up a wall-based empire when playing that game. So I'm intrigued to see how they will turn well, a, a, a board game based on island trading into an exciting film, but I'm, we'll we'll see. I'm glad we took the time to talk about this because that is compelling content. Isn't it? It really Isn't is. Isn't it just? That was good stuff. Jackie or, Chan confirms Rush Hour 4 is happening. Mm, no, Jackie. Mm, Back away from the script for Rush Hour 4. Don't do it to yourself, man. Honestly. Ah. Oh. Right, so we have another guest. Yes, um, please, yes. So Noah Bambach is a director, writer-director, actually, of uh, wonderful movies like Francis Ha and The Squid and the Whale and Margot at the Wedding. And his latest movie debuts on Netflix today, I think. Uh, and it is a cracking film called The Mayor of It's Stories, brackets new and selected, great cast, Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Dustin Hoffman, um, uh, Elizabeth Marvel. So Noah Bambach has made a Marvel movie, everybody. I knew he would. It was only a matter of time. Uh, and uh, Emma Thompson as well stars in this and it's about a uh, a New York family the father Dustin Hoffman is a temperamental uh, artist and his sons uh, are Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller and his daughter is Elizabeth, Mar- Elizabeth Marvel and it is a series of vignettes in their life uh, and Bambach was in this week for the LFF Laugh Gala of the Merrywood Stories, new and selected, that uh, was presented by Empire and, yes, hosted by yours truly. And uh, before we did that, I went along and spoke to him in a lovely, ravishing London hotel room. So here are some new and selected highlights from that chat. Enjoy. Noah, I, I I have to clear something up before we start properly. I am wearing a De Palma t-shirt. This was completely unintentional. It was on top of my drawer when I picked it up this morning. Uh, but have you, do you wear? Do you, do you strike me? Are you a man who wears director t-shirts? Do you have? Have you worn this t-shirt before? This De Palma t-shirt? Well, we I um, uh, you know, I made a, a movie about absolutely, yeah, uh, and we're uh, very friendly, and uh, we have. Uh, Sort of a group of us directors who um, in New York who often uh, we have like sort of a, a standing dinner every week. Okay. Um, uh, and Brian is one of them. And yes, one of the dinners actually I bought uh, from the IFC Center, which is, okay. uh, was nearby. They sell these to Palma. Yeah. And I guess you should explain it looks like the Def Leppard. Yes. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, so I have a, a photo actually that maybe after this I can try to find on my phone for you of <laughs> Brian De Palma with the Brian De Palma T-shirt. And oh wow! Okay, excellent. Uh, and if there was one for you, 
because this is a series of T-shirts that takes directors' names and uh, and 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 stylizes them in the, in the style of famous rock bands. Right. So there's a Lars von Trier in the style of Van Halen. So if someone were to do you, which band would you want? I mean, the Beatles immediately suggest itself. <laughs> well, I guess you got to go by font, right? You know, it's yeah. like nice to have the. I'm trying to. Yeah, I guess with Baumbach, you have Beatles. You have uh, we could do. Um, uh, Beastie Boys. Uh, <laughs> Beastie Boys would yeah, be interesting. That might be, yeah. Um, uh, we'll see if this can, we can make Bronsky this work. Bronsky Beat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's see. The ne- next time we, we talk for your next movie, maybe we'll have this t-shirt yeah, made up. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the font is for Bronsky Yeah, beat. <laughs> I'm not even sure they have a font, but we, we will look into it and, and make it work. Everyone's got a font, right? Everyone's got a font, precisely. Uh, congratulations on the film, The, uh, the Merit Thanks. Stories. Brackets new and selected, um, which fascinates me because obviously as a as a writer you sit down, you plot out a movie, you plot out characters. The selected part is intriguing to me. Does that indicate that there are other stories that were on the not just the cutting room floor but the writing room floor? Well, it's it, it's there to to uh, to indicate that there could have been or mm-hmm. that it is part of a bigger group of stories as you said i mean i think that was when i was writing it it was a it, it, it helped for some reason for me to think of it as like some author had written about this family over the course of his career and published various stories and at some mm-hmm. point they were anthologized and put together and you know not all of them were included some were you know and that he wrote maybe a couple extra new ones for the <laughs> volume and yeah. uh and that was useful for me in some way i think to to in 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 when i was writing to 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 figure out the structure which is broken mm-hmm. into yes. these sort of sections or almost like short stories um but i i, I didn't actually go write those other stories this is just okay. <laughs> okay. i was i just did exactly what i needed to do and then uh left the rest to your imagination okay so as we, we you were finished the script there was nothing Nothing extraneous. Well, no, of course there always is, it, but <laughs> but uh, 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 but I but the the challenge from you know me in writing it. I mean, I was just writing a lot of stuff, and a lot of it was junk and 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 not really clicking. But I I think that the the structure when I when I figured out the structure of the movie, I, that that was very useful for me because then I could um, uh, I could. I don't know. It somehow unlocks stuff for me. And it, okay. it also helped even me figure out the characters and figure out the, uh, so, um, uh, you know, so I kept it, I kept yeah. it as the title. It's not, it's not really, you know, like you said, I don't, I don't know that you need to, you know, think of it as a collection of stories when you watch the movie, but you know, it, it, it meant something to me. No, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and, was that the starting point in a way? Was the starting point the idea of telling something in, in this sort of short story format, this sort of chapter format? This, this? That, that came later. I mean, I, I, I was, I was writing. I knew I was writing about adult siblings, and and I wanted to write about how they were kind of contending with their father. I mean, it was something I had tried actually years ago before I wrote what became the Squid and the Whale. Mm-hmm. I actually started that from the perspective of adult siblings. Okay. And um, I I think I sort of probably reached a point where I thought like, well, do I write a flashback? Do I write I, I, something that, that 
uh, it didn't didn't seem right for that movie, but seemed somehow uh, more where my heart was at the time. And, okay. and I think yeah. it, it was f- for me then writing from the kid's perspective is sort of what opened up that mm-hmm. story in that movie. And and so, it, you know, I guess, you know, it was still with me and I, um, you know, with with some some more perspective and some 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 miles on me, I, I, I was able to able to come back to it. Did you do you start with characters, and do you start with a, spe- a specific character? It depends on every movie's different. I've gotten. I used to be much more. Uh, I don't know if I was going to say pure. I don't know if this is a purer way or not. But I would start with character and and let the character kind of almost tell this dictate what the story became like the more I wrote the character the more the story would reveal itself that was mm-hmm. true very much true uh, with Greenberg and um, Margo at the wedding and and uh, and and squid to some degree too mm-hmm. although I, I think I knew more of what that story was going to be I knew it was going to be about a divorce um, but I've gotten more maybe starting around Francis Ha I've gotten much more uh, I've gotten looser I guess I'm just less uh, uh, I, I guess I'm just I don't know more more open to whatever this this one's going to be and mm. and I've and I've also find that structure often uh, helps as I was saying even about the Meyerowitz is that the structure in a way helps unlock yes, the course. character so yeah. you know with Francis it was you know I, we had lots of Greta and I wrote it together we had lots of um, I, you know, notes and ideas and things, but it was really the, the structure of the, of, of, of creating sort of chapters of different locations that, that, that she was kind of, you know, you know, without a, a home without, you know, without, without roots and, and breaking it up that way kind of, I think also helped us understand who, who okay. Francis herself was. Yeah. And so it's it's fascinating that you uh, you say that this this movie I mean not directly but it, it, it you had this you were exploring territory like this a few years ago um, does that mean that if we opened your desk drawer there would be lots of unused screenplays unfinished screenplays are, are you that's no sort of there, there wouldn't be actually there there's there's lots of uh, there's, there's lots of unused bits and scenes and mm-hmm. ideas and um, uh, but there isn't any, you know, certainly not in the last, I don't know, maybe 15 years or something. There isn't any like screenplay that I wrote that I didn't do anything with. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, um, you know, usually I, I, I find I usually have like, I'm usually have one idea or thing in reserve kind of floating in my head that isn't quite ripe or isn't quite ready. And that sort of hangs back while I work on the thing I'm working on. And, and then when I finish the thing I'm working on, that thing kind of finds its way to the forefront. But, but I don't, that could be a tiny thing. Like, Mm. you know, somebody wears a green jacket, you know, on, you know, (laughs) and, and, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, like with Meyerowitz, in a way, the the thing I knew I wanted to include was was 
was was scenes in a hospital this is even this is now before i knew the family i knew okay. exactly how it was going to go down yeah um because i've it was something that i'd wanted to try to f- find a way to do in a movie was was recreate in some way you know what what had been my experience of being in a hospital which i found i hadn't quite seen in in a movie before yes Yes, <laughs> and uh, I don't want to delve too much into that uh, in case people label it as a spoiler, but uh, they, you have an amazing cast uh, in this movie, and you know we know that Dustin Hoffman can be great, we know Emma Thompson can be great uh, in, a, in a dramatic role, and I believe you worked with Ben Stiller once or twice as well, yes. so we know what you can get from him. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big Adam Sandler fan, uh, and he is fantastic in this movie. Um, we, are you a big Adam Sandler fan? Do you, yeah, do you sit course. at home and watch Happy Gilmore? Is that, yeah, yeah. Is that the sort of thing you... Uh, For sure. So what, you first, what, what did you first see him and then think? Well, I guess I first saw him on Saturday Night Live, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, and then I've been, you know, like everybody else, you know, go, going to his movies. I, I, I um, uh, Adam had reached out to me, I don't know, a few years ago and, just said you know if you ever have something you know i hope you think about me and mm. and you know as i've in my experience you know i've have had actors do this and and then you know you send them a script you know a year or so later and they say like oh i'm sorry i didn't respond to the part <laughs> and you're thinking come on you know? <laughs> i thought you you asked me yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> um uh and but Adam was true to his true to his word and and um and and I actually spoke with Adam and Ben and, and we got together before I wrote the script we kind okay. of talked about like what would that be mm. you know we we just had a kind of wide ranging uh conversation about you know sort of about family about you know it was we had sort of just the vague idea that they might be brothers and then and then after the lunch we basically had this sort of vague idea that they should get into a physical fight at some point <laughs> and okay. and that's about all I had when I went to to write the script uh, brilliant Noah Noah Bronsky beat Noah Bambach yeah yeah, yeah Bronsky beat. <laughs> so, so we gotta, let, I will let's try Google, and, let's Google some album covers yeah I'll yeah. try and get this I'll try and get this t-shirt for you but next time we speak it's been a pleasure thank right, you thank so much you, thank, thank you. you cheers so that was Noah Bambach, then uh, director of the Mayor Ruth Stories, brackets new and selected. Obviously, very important the new and selected part. Mm. Um, so let's start the reviews section of the show by talking about that film. John, you haven't seen this. I haven't seen this. No, you haven't seen this. It is on Netflix as of this weekend. Um, I think <laughs> maybe next weekend. Uh, you'll know it anyway uh, when you're you know, when you finish watching The Good Place, because I assume you're watching The I Good Place, I haven't seen right? this. No, I want to see this. Yeah, everyone's yeah. saying it's great. Well, yeah, but I, I should have talked more about The Good Place this week. I feel like I, I haven't mentioned it once, and it's absolutely amazing. More like Great Place. The Great Place, the very great place. Um, I will talk about the Merowith stories in a second, but if you haven't been watching The Good Place, it is a cracking sitcom. It's more than a sitcom, actually. That is, uh, It was on NBC last year in the States. Its second season is just beginning in the States. It's about four or five episodes in, I think, now. And uh, its first season, 13 episodes, has hit Netflix in its entirety. And now they're following the uh, Better Call Saul route as well, and that we'll be getting new episodes weekly. I guess Star Trek Discovery's doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it is fantastic. Stars Kristen Bell. Feels like we're sponsored by the great, the good place, but we're not. It stars Kristen Bell as a lady called Eleanor who dies and goes to heaven 
and that is the good place and it is a, a neighborhood that is governed by an architect Michael played by Ted Danson who's wonderful playing very much uh, an under Ted Danson-y type uh, figure and uh, there she is uh, team she teams up with a number of people including her uh, her soulmate that's what we're told her soulmate uh, Judy who's played by William Jackson Harper and um, and Jamila Jamil from T4 remember Jamila from T4 yeah I do She's in the show. She's like third bill. She's like one of the main cast members. And she's really, really great. She's playing like a uh, a British uh, socialite called Tahani, uh, who's quite snooty and quite uppity. But uh, we obviously get to know more about her as the show goes on. And she's she's fantastic as well. Uh, and it's just, it's a really, really well-written show. Very, very surprising. It, it, it is uh, very philosophical as well. Uh, it's from Michael Schur, who is behind the likes of Parks and Recreation and mm-hmm. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, and this may be it's only one season, one and a half seasons in. This may be his crowning glory wow. in that it's an episodic show. And, you know, there are, it's perfect for Netflix, actually, because each episode ends with a cliffhanger, mm. and which is very unsitcom like. Um, but you really just want to watch the next episode instantly. And I'm about to get to that point where I won't have another episode to watch. And I don't know what I'm going to do after that. I'm going to have to watch the Merowith stories new and selected. There hey, we go. Segway. We're, we're back in the room. Segway. Oh, give us your rewards. <laughs> the Merowith stories new and selected. Yes, so this is Noah Baumbach's new latest movie. I like this movie a lot. Uh, nothing to do with the fact that I was hosting the LFF Laugh Gala. Uh, I promise you, my integrity remains absolutely 100%. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is very, very good. It stars um, wonderful, wonderful cast. Adam Sandler uh, plays Danny, who is um, the middle... No, he's the eldest son. The eldest son of the Merowitz family. His dad, played by Dustin Hoffman, is an artist who is successful, uh, but not as successful as he likes to think he could have been, and is maybe a little bit grumpy about that, a little bit dismissive of others, and certainly the sort of person who will uh, quickly kick his children for not being as successful and certainly not being as artistic as as he was. Uh, also, family is Elizabeth Marvel as Jean, uh, the the sister of the family. A uh, bit of a, a bit of an odd bod uh, by her own admission. A bit weird, um, but uh, again, a character who uh, is revealed as the movie goes on. And then it's Ben Stiller as I guess the most successful on paper of the family. He has become a business manager out in L.A. and he comes back to New York. Um, to visit the family and things spiral out from there. And this is a series of vignettes in the life of the family uh, as things happen to them, as uh, as you've heard from the interview with Noah Bambach, as, as hospital comes into the, uh, into the picture as well and, uh, and people start to confront their own mortality and their own ideas of success and failure in life. And this is a very, very well-written movie. It is... It is not one of the Adam Sandler Netflix movies. It is not the Ridiculous Six or the Do Over or uh, I don't know what, what else he's got coming out really in terms of his Netflix um, contract. Uh, it just happens to be an Adam Sandler movie that is on Netflix. But it is Adam Sandler very much in the form of Punch Drunk Love or Rain Over Me or or those movies where he tends to be maybe a little bit more serious. Um, was it Men, Women and Children there was a Jason Reitman movie that he did a few years ago that wasn't very very good but he was he was good in it um, and I, I like Adam Sandler a lot I think he has uh, real potential he you know <laughs> he's got real potential of a man who's in his 40s or maybe even early 50s but you know he gets 
He gets obviously a bad rap for doing all these terrible, terrible comedies and uh, clearly he chooses to do them and he's very, very happy doing them and he's very well paid doing them and, he, and I think a lot of his friends get work that way and he's quite happy with that and quite a loyal guy and that's all good, that's all well and good. Um, and I love Happy Gilmore and I love You Don't Mess With the Sohan and I, you know, there, there are some films, I, I even like Little Nicky and, um, and That's My Boy. I like... I like the dumb Adam Sandler comedies, but there's some truly, truly terrible ones. But he's also a very talented, dramatic actor as well. Yeah. And this movie is, I think, a real showcase for that. And there's, this is a dramedy. It's, it, it is a comedy drama. Uh, it is ostensibly a comedy. And then there are dramatic elements that, that, that seep in later on. And it is an ensemble piece. And everyone in this is, is really, really good. And I've been more, I've been, but I've been reading reports about this in the States, about how you know, if they are going to push this towards for Oscars, if they are going to start doing that sort of thing, how Dustin Hoffman is going to be the the person who's going to be pushed to the forefront for a Best Supporting Actor nod as the, the father, Harold. And I can see that. And he's very, very good. And it's a really interesting role because he's quite this, you know, this quite persnickety old man, very, very crusty, who really doesn't have a filter and just says what he likes and uh, and just rides roughshod over his kids and their emotions. Uh, and it's a great role. It's a very, very showy role. But for me, the best performance in this movie belongs to Adam Sandler. And, uh, and he is really, really great as a guy who knows that he could have achieved more in life. Chose not to for a very good reason. He decided to become a, a house husband and a father to his uh, daughter. Um, and he's just really, really good in this film. And it is a film that is beautifully written and is a succession of wonderful lines. And it's a film that I've been thinking about a lot this week. And it's a film that I th- find that I think I'm going to come back to again and again. It's one of those movies that I'm going to watch just as a comfort film. It's it's really, really well ri- written and directed and uh, good performances throughout. Wow. Yeah. So do we think... Oscar for Adam Sandler is that too strong? No, that's Hollywood hasn't lost his mind. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's, but Hollywood does love a narrative, right? Yeah, yeah it does yeah. love a narrative. Come back, kids. Come back, kids. So Adam Sandler, but I don't know if it's an Oscar role. Mm. I don't know if it's that Oscar clip role. Right. I think Ben Stiller gets an Oscar clip role in this okay. movie. There's they, they, the two of them, they're, they're brothers, they're half-brothers, they don't really get on. There's quite an antagonistic relationship between them, very frosty. Uh, and they begin to break down those barriers. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but there is this confrontation between them in the film, which is, which is very funny, but it obviously uh, has dramatic impact as well. And then after that, there's a really great bit of acting from, from Stiller, you know, where he, there's a bit of a breakdown scene. Sandler doesn't really get that. And what it does is it's a role that as well, and in the same way that Paul Thomas Anderson um, did with Punch Drunk Love, it's it's an Adam Sandler dramatic role that very much plays into the Adam Sandler persona that we know and some people love, which is that very angry, uh, repressed man-child mm-hmm. who has just this, this great well, this knot of anger building inside him, and occasionally it just comes out! And, mm-hmm. you know... Sorry about that, everybody. And um, and he's really, really good in it, but I don't know if it's, it's flashy. Like Robert Redford a few years ago for um, um, that great J.C. Chandor film, his name I've completely All is forgotten. Lost. All is Lost, thank you. You know, my whole review about that was if Robert Redford is going to be nominated for an Oscar here, it's they're going to be hard-pressed finding a clip 
yeah. to play at the Oscars because it is literally 90 minutes of an old man saying nothing. Just looking slightly dismayed. Looking slightly dismayed and, and rooting through his stuff to find a tin of beans. Yeah. And that's yeah. pretty much as, as, as dramatic as it got for him in that movie, even when he was facing perilous life and death situations. Mm. It's the same as Sandler in this. But this is a really, really good film. Uh, we gave it four stars. The Merit Stories, new and selected. And I will shut up now and let you, John, talk about... Um, what else? What else is happening this week? The Snowman. Should the we snowman. Talk about the snowman. Yeah. Um, so this is not, I repeat, not a remake of the <laughs> classic uh, Christmas time holiday animation. There is no Alan Jones in this snowman. This is a very much adults only snowman. Uh, so, as we mentioned earlier, this is the adaptation of the. Is it Yo Nesbo? Is that how you say his name? I've heard Yo. I've heard Joe. Yo Nesbo. Uh, however you say it. Yo Nesbo, Joe Nesbo. This is based on his book, uh, one of a series of books uh, around the detective Harry. In the original Norwegian books, it's Harry Hole, I believe. Uh, in this film, it's pronounced Harry Hole. Uh, it's spelt Hole. Mm-hmm. This is there's this whole series of detective books around this character, uh, and this is the first one to make it to screen. Um, so Michael Michael Fassbender plays Harry Hole. He is. Basically, a brilliant detective with the Oslo police force who is also, he also has a terrible drinking problem. He has family issues. Yes. Uh, but brilliant, so brilliant. Um, <laughs> is he a deep hole or is he <laughs> quite a shallow hole? He's, he's something of a square hole in a round peg. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, and but we should point out this is actually this is actually set in in Norway. This is so this is this is absolutely set in in Oslo. Yeah. Um, it's a curious film because it is uh, it's in English. It's all all the dialogue is in English. Mm-hmm. So you have this in a similar vein to Finch's Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. You have this yes. array of accents. Fassbender basically goes English. He's he's um, his co-star is Rebecca Ferguson, who plays Katrine Bratt, a mm. uh, fellow detective. Mm. Um, and then you get a little bit. So J.K. Simmons is in this film, and he sort of does. He attempts. It's I, I guess it's a, like a light Swedish chef, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He really sort of he really tries a Scandinavian accent. And what about Val I'm Kilmer? Sh- I know Val Kilmer's in this. Val Kilmer is in this. This is, is he a- birdie birdie, or is he? No, he. Well, so it's a strange. Val, we haven't got to the plot yet, but Val Kilmer is a very odd presence in this film. I should probably preface this by saying so he he did have he was reported to have oral cancer. Yes. Um, and uh, apparently his tongue was very swollen, and I think it was still swollen at the time of this film. Oh really? Um, so okay. all of his dialogue has been dubbed by a different actor. No, really. This is what I've read. Allegedly, it's been overdubbed, but it, that that it's not been dubbed well, and it gives a very strange. The whole his whole performance is quite unsettling. Okay, okay. And I've seen someone describe him as sort of Tommy Wisu level. Uh, oh, that's it's, harsh on old foul. Come on, yeah. it's Nick Rivers for God's sake, leave him alone. I, it's just, it's just, he's a he's a bizarre presence, put it that way. Okay. In, in fact, a lot of this film does feel a little bit odd, a little bit off off kilter, a little bit like it doesn't fit. So mm. this is directed by Thomas Alfredson, who uh, the Swedish director who did Let the Right One In mm-hmm. and um, Tinker Tainter Soldier Spy. Mm-hmm. Both of those are really interesting takes on on genre slow builds, and uh, they they sort of studiously avoid cliches. 
and <laughs> as you just didn't, as I, as I just didn't, <laughs> as I never do, as, yeah, as we studiously do not at Empire. <laughs> uh, and what's interesting about the snowman is that he doesn't avoid cliches. He he seems to actively embrace them. It's very strange. Okay. So uh, you know, Fassbender's character is essentially a walking cliche. I mean, he's a you know a, a tough cop with a drinking problem. There's one scene Maybe. where Rebecca Ferguson's character is like. Uh, I studied your cases down at the academy. You know, she doesn't say in an American accent, but you could. If, if, <laughs> Did you? <laughs> what was that? I don't, that was an approximation. It, was, it started Scottish. Ah, <laughs> oh, you actually went. I studied your cases down at the academy. Did Look, you overdub Val Kilmer? We're not reviewing me here. We're reviewing the film. Look, it's it's a very generic film, and it's very strange that. Uh, someone who's who made something like Tinker's Tailor's Soldier Spy, which yeah. is so restrained, and frosty. It's a very frosty, very film. frosty. Could suddenly make something that just feels like any other detective film. I've just realised we haven't actually talked about the plot. So what? What, what actually? Yes. Happens? So so <laughs> that's it, my fault entirely. In in I've derailed this in a very time. general sense. Uh, there is a serial killer in in Oslo, um, and he his his calling card is a snowman. So he will kill uh, a, a person, usually a woman, and then he will leave a snowman outside their house. Um, this leads to some unintentionally hilarious moments where the camera <laughs> zooms in on a snowman <laughs> with scary strings music in the background. And we're supposed to be terrified of what is essentially a collection of frozen water um, with a couple of sticks in the side. It's, I mean, that is just particularly rubbish. Um, and the, the music in general, I think, is not great. It's very <laughs> prescriptive and, okay. you know, obvious. And, you know, it, it sends you down quite obvious places. It, the whole thing really is just quite obvious. I, it's, it's a real disappointment because, you know, it has got a great cast. It has got a great director from previous form. And, you know, I, I, there, it's just there are so many bits that feel like they don't belong. Yeah. There's, there's stuff that goes unresolved. There's things that feel like they came from the book and then they never quite had time in the running time to sort of finish it all off. The killer, you can kind of guess about an hour before they you actually reveal it. So that loses some of the tension. Fassbender is supposed to be this brilliant cop and he's actually not. He's kind of rubbish. Um, there are a couple of points where he you know, it's right in front of him and he just doesn't know what he's doing. So is this like, um, obviously they want to start a, a franchise with this because there's loads of Harry Hole lay books. That's right. But it doesn't sound like we're going to get one. I think it's very unlikely this will get a second film. Uh, and if they do, they'd have to do something very differently. But look, I yeah, I, it, I, it just doesn't come together for, for numerous reasons. Um, and with the best will in the world, it's just... It's just not good. It, mm. And, you know, maybe it could have done with We're Walking in the Air. Maybe that would have... <laughs> maybe that would have turned It'll things around. Give it a few months and some YouTube wag will do that. It's it's all good. All right, so say no man to the snowman. Just two stars for that. Sadly, ben. yes. yes. Um, so, John, we've got two more films. Mm-hmm. But we should say The Loving Vincent, which I have not seen, but people are going nuts about this and it's four stars and... Yes, it's a documentary. Yeah, we should we should mention that just because it is unlike any film I or probably anyone else has ever seen. Mm. Um, it's a fairly extraordinary um, project. So, for those who don't know, it is a feature length film, um, and it's animated, and it's entirely animated by 
oil painting. So it's the world's, uh, they're selling it as the world's first fully painted uh, feature film. They had over 100 artists working on this for several years. 65,000 individual frames were painted. Six years it took overall. Uh, so if if you think every single frame on screen is a hand-painted oil painting, I mean, you know, there, there is a sort of cliche in reviewing that every frame could be a painting, but in this mm. film, every frame literally is a painting. Wow. The effect it has is extraordinary. I mean, yeah. it is visually flabbergasting. You, you know, you there are, there was no point when I was watching it thinking, uh, I, I never forgot what was going on. I was always stunned at how the painting moved. And it's painted in... Uh, Van Gogh's style as well so it's this very impressionistic style um, with very thick paintbrushes you can see the you know the lines of the paintbrush in every frame uh, and this is it, you know it really it reminds you of the form I suppose and it mm. reminds you of the art and it reminds you of um, the sort of artist that Van Gogh was um, amazing uh, so that in itself is makes it just worth the ticket wow. price alone it really is extraordinary um, I remember Phil just banging on about that um before he left and just how how great it was and uh, to seek it out and I just haven't been able to get to a screening so yeah. that sounds that sounds great I think so, it is just a limited release uh, yes. this weekend so. there's an event there's an event there was, release isn't I there, th- there's, I there's think a, there was an event one at the National Gallery yeah. or something like that so it's fantastic. Um, so but look out for it on DVD and, and whatnot. So that's, uh, yeah. that's Loving Vincent. And uh, I tricked you into talking about it. Very, very and nice. that's all the time we have. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about Lego Ninjago. Yeah. Four uh, stars in for Loving Vincent. Then we get the Lego Ninjago movie. Uh, yeah, okay. So let's talk about the Lego Ninjago movie then. And it is it is Ninjago, not Ninjago, as I learned from watching this film. Uh, I've, <laughs> I'd never heard of uh, Ninjago, um, Ninjago. Ninjago Ninjago. until I'd seen this film and I suspect many people won't have either Um, but it is a very popular line of the Lego toys Mm. Um, it's basically a sort of you know ninja ninja Lego that's 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 what it is Um, it's sort of vaguely Japanese inspired uh, brand of the toys and it is very popular among the Lego faithful so it's set in the in the animated Lego world. We've obviously we've had the Lego Movie, we've had the Lego Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is set within that same universe, roughly speaking. Although we don't see any of the characters from the previous films, mm-hmm. um, this is sort of separate, I suppose. And Ninjago is a place. It's a it's a, a, a sort of magical place, a sort of vaguely Western cross with Eastern city. So mm-hmm. you see sort of Japanese characters, but they all speak and sound like Americans. Okay. Within this town of Ninjago, there is the secret ninja force, which is a sort of Power Rangers-like set of ninjas, six teenage ninjas who each have their own special power and elemental force. Um, and they protect the city of Ninjago from Lord Garmadon voiced by Justin Theroux in a really, really brilliant way, who is, I must say, quite similar to Lord Business from the first Lego movie, who's voiced by Will Farrell. Uh-huh. Uh, he is just, you know, an, a cackling baddie um, with a few wisecracks to spare. Um, Are they running out of ideas already? Is that, is that what you're saying? I, that's maybe what I'm alluding to. Okay. Yeah, so the, the, the basic idea is um, the, the secret ninja force unleashed the ultimate weapon, um, I'm not going to say what it is, but it, I, I will say it involves a live-action element. And then the, the secret ninja force have to embark on a quest alongside Lord Garmadon to find the ultimate, ultimate weapon. Wow. Sounds yeah. good. 
Yeah, it, look, it's it like the other Lego movies. It's very fun. It's very fast. It's very energetic. Uh, it's maybe almost too energetic in some places. I mean, some of the animation is. I I felt a bit sick after a little while. You I know? had that with the first one. Yeah, it it, it moves so quickly and yeah. so bright and so it sort of induces motion sickness. But it is very funny. I I feel like they are starting to repeat themselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. There is that sort of fun irony that is, is sort of the common theme of these films, which which makes it keeps it fairly fresh. But you know, it's following a very generic template, and it, and they're learning very obvious lessons. And yeah, and because this is very much focused on Ninjago, it doesn't have that freewheeling um, universe. I guess that the Lego, the, the Lego movie has. That's right. You could have cameos from superheroes and Star Wars characters and exactly. Gandalf. And There's none of that. There are no sort of other properties invading yes. this world. It is just Ninjago. So if you're not familiar with, I th- I'm sure Ninjago fans will be thrilled. But mm-hmm. you know, those of us who who aren't familiar with it, that it doesn't have as much excitement. Jackie Chan does cameo as a sort of ninja uh, ninja master in live action at the, the, the bookends the film, which oh, okay. is quite quite a nice touch. All right. But yeah, it doesn't have quite uh, the same sort of charm as the other films. You know, it's fun. It's disposable. It's it's it'll keep the kids happy. But I felt like the Lego Movie was something so different and so fresh and mm. so unique. Um, and this this I feel is not that. So should people ninja go to Lego ninja go, or should they not? I think Jago. Well, I gave this three stars, which, as we do say, is a recommendation. So go. I think they should leg go. <laughs> All right, they should and we, and we should go we should, of their money. We should let go as well. We should we should go. We should we go. Should. We should go. We should go. We should and we will go. go. So three stars then for the Lego Ninjago movie. I guess that leaves then the Merowit stories, new and selected, and Loving Vincent as the films to go and see this week, which is mm-hmm. all very very well and good. Uh, okay, right, uh, that is it. Yeah, for this week's edition of the Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film related fun. We'll be joined by. I'm not kidding you. It's a triple whammy. It is a triple whammy, and I don't know how we're going to do this. <laughs> this is madness. Daniel Radcliffe wow. on the podcast to talk about Jungle. The boy wizard. The boy wizard himself. He's grown up. He's all grown up now. Uh, Jerry Butler. Whoa. He's going to be on the podcast, we hope, to talk about Geostorm. Whoa. And if you know anything about the Dissembling, you know he's very excited to be part of that interview. <laughs> it's going to be happening it's next week. Jerry Storm. It's going to be huge. And then we'll also be joined by Vince Fawn and S. Craig Soller to talk about the extraordinarily brutal brawl in Cell Block 99, uh, all of which are out next week. Wow. So that's that's a that's a triple whammy. What right a sofa! There. What a sofa! A and also, you should keep your ears peeled as well for uh, a Red Dwarf special mm. as well. So series twelve started this week on Dave. Still cannot believe there's a TV channel called Dave. But there you go. Uh, Red Dwarf Series 12 started this week on Dave. And so we had pretty much the entire cast come in yesterday. Uh, here we had Craig Charles, Robert Llewellyn, Danny John Jules. We had the co-creator Doug Naylor. Only Chris Barry, I think, couldn't make it. That's very, very exciting. There was a lot of fun, apparently. I wasn't there. Um, and uh, we're going to be doing a special as well with uh, some of the, the, the team talking about our memories and our love of Red Dwarf over the years as well. So uh, keep your ears peeled for that. That'll hopefully be next week, or if not, it'll be the week after that. Uh, right, okay, that's it. Uh, until next time, it is goodbye from John. 
goodbye. <laughs> and it's goodbye for me. I'm off to recruit more people because this is two <laughs> two handers in a row yeah, on the podcast. That's right. And we frankly need more people. We need a new news editor for one thing. We need to get that person in here and start getting them to do podcasts. So that's what I'm going to do. See you next week. <laughs> 